believe in the fight game. Hello, everyone. This is Charles Yao with Believe in the Fight Game on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team and every sport in L.A. and more. We believe in sports. Do you believe? Hey, how's it going? Believe in the Fight Game listener. This is Charles once again. And for the next three episodes, I have a really cool setup in featuring a 14-year-old fighter, her coach, and her father that compromises of this whole it takes a village to raise a fighter. The first episode I'm going to feature is Stefan Gristina. This is Trinity Pun's coach. Stefan Gristina is a brown belt that trains out of Henzo Gracie Middletown. And I find him to be one of the more interesting people out there that needs to be featured in the jiu-jitsu game. Because for some reason, if you train in jiu-jitsu, you are almost admonished if, you, if you're out of the zone of eating acai bowls, being only plant-based, or if you don't consume alcohol once in a while. But I tend to be more affectionate towards the people who are actually real in Instagram and who also have character, where they enjoy their life, where they train enough and indulge once in a while to consume really good whiskey. This guy, I feel, is like one of the more balanced individuals that I've spoken in and interviewed before. His Instagram is sgristina underscore BJJ. That's S-G-R-I-S-T-I-N-A underscore BJJ. And he also manages another Instagram account called Burgers and Butt Scoots, which is all tied into jujitsu. So part of the whole ecosystem to Trinity Pun, who I'm going to feature, is Coach Stefan, her father, John, and then I'll eventually play the interview with Trinity. But in the meantime, here is the awesome brown belt Stefan Gristina from Henzo Gracie Middletown. Hello? Coach, thank you so much for um, taking the time, man. I know you're, you're a busy guy. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Cool. Uh, you know, before anything else, I wanted to pick your brain. Uh-huh. What did you think about the In-N-Out Burger when you went out here to California? <laughs> uh, no, the In-N-Out Burger was awesome. I uh, First one ever, I decided to go uh, four by four animal style. <laughs> and it really uh, blew my expectations out of the water. I, I had them downplayed to me, actually, by somebody. They, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, I tried them. They're not great. And I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, for fast food burgers, they're pretty damn good. Right. Well, was that person a local to L.A.? Or was no, it? No, it was somebody that went to go visit. And they were like, oh, they weren't, uh, they weren't that good. Yeah, I think I think the the biggest misconception um, with In and Out is e- even with the comparison to Shake Shack because I feel like Shake Shack, which is you know what New York seems like, it seems to be the barometer for. It seems like a lot of people think like it, it's gourmet, where Shake Shack I feel tends to be more on the gourmet side. And like what you yeah. and like what you typed on, what you put on your Instagram, it's like, hey, for fast food, this is pretty good, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Uh, Shake Shack's got that like fast casual kind of thing going, and uh, In and Out's just straight up fast food. Like it's like 
if I had to compare it to something, it's it's in the McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, and it blows all of them out of the water. So it's like if I had to have that one in my town and opposed to a McDonald's, a Wendy's, or a Burger King, yes, hell yeah. And I'm glad you went with the animal style 4x4, so you went straight to off book, which is cool. Oh, yeah. I, I watch a bunch of uh, YouTube videos on burgers. I know like the, the secret menu stuff, and I know that when I went there, I had to do something. I'm not a fan of pickles, so I requested no pickles, but I got the extra sauce and all the other stuff that comes with animal style. So, Yeah, and how did you get into the – here's the reason why, Stefan, uh, Stefan, um, Coach Stefan – I just came from... You can just call me Stefan. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Um, I just came from Asia, and there's a growing faction of food consumers who train in jiu-jitsu, and they're both subcultures, right? So it, mm -hmm. it was completely interesting to me to find a brown belt from, you know, a legendary school like Henzo Gracie, and then... Oh my God, this dude's into, into food, specifically burgers. Now, I saw some posts on Hibiki, and which I was like, all right, I like this dude already, like straight out. <laughs> you, you know, oh, like yeah. I, I've been lately, the last three, four years, I've tried the various amounts of whiskeys, but Hibiki, as far as for Japanese and Asian uh, whiskeys, Hibiki's like my joint. Uh, it's so good. It's one of the first Japanese whiskeys that I could drink without putting some ice in it. And, you know, I was blown away. I, that bottle that I had in that picture uh -huh. didn't last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, I didn't pay for it. Uh, a friend of mine gifted it to me, which was awesome. But I, I, it, if I paid for it still, I don't even know if I'd be able to hold myself back from, from finishing it that fast. It was it's so good. It's still, I would say, I don't know if you feel this way and just check me because it seems like you consume at a wider tier than I do, but it seems like it's still kind of underground in the whiskey consumer scene because everyone's still not embracing Japanese whiskey. Am I correct yeah, or incorrect? It's, it's, a, it's a little bit on the, uh, the rise right now. A lot of people are getting into it right now. It was kind of you know, seen as something different and people didn't quite understand it, but it within the, the scotch uh, consumer specifically, we started getting into that. I'm a, I'm a scotch guy. I'm not really big on bourbon and stuff like that, but uh, I got into scotch and it's very similar because in the early 1900s, the Japanese actually learned how to make whiskey from the scotch. So, it has a similar makeup. It's, it, you know, the way that they distill it and all that is the way that the Scots do it. So it has a similar taste and uh, consistency as scotch. Any non-Asian scotch that you prefer? Do you have like a tier, like your top two, top three? Oh, yeah. My favorite by far, Lagavulin 16. That's like, that's my bread and butter. I'll go to that. You know, a little bit on the uh, expensive end, but sure. I've always got a bottle hanging around in case I want some. Uh, other than that, uh, <laughs> I guess my next favorite might be uh, Talisker. I really, uh, it's a little, it's a, it's a good one. It's just, uh, it might not be a space set. I don't remember. It's, um, I don't know what region it's from, actually. I got to look into that. But Talisker is definitely a great one. 
And those are definitely my two go-tos. I keep one, I keep a bottle of Talisker at my girlfriend's house and I keep the uh, Lagavulin at my house. So either way, I'm good and set. How did you get into this food scene? Because for the listening audience, Coach has another Instagram account. If you want to follow him at S Christina underscore BJJ. But if you want to follow his other account, it's at burgers underscore and spelled out a N D underscore butt scoots. That's correct. I, uh, I wanted to do just the, uh, the end as the ampersand, but it doesn't let you do that. Spell it out. Uh, no, yeah, I, I started that, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, maybe. I don't remember how long ago at this point, but it just started as me and my friends, we would always go out and I would always get some crazy burger after training. And I was like, I just want to like take pictures of these burgers and like post them. People like, yeah, it's a great idea. We started it. Uh, a couple of my friends were really enthusiastic about it. They wanted to go get burgers all the time after training and we take a picture and then I was like, you know what, I go out, I do a bunch of, I like, I go to a bunch of seminars from like these different, uh, high profile guys. And like, you know, I think it has potential to do something, you know, at least interesting. And I feel like with the sophistication and I'm not sagging towards jujitsu yet, but there, there's a growing scope of intelligent people who like food, who like whiskey, or if not, you know, into they're into so many other consumable hobbies that's growing. So I, I was like, you know what? I have to interview this coach because it, it, mm. it, th- I seem to gravitate more to people like that than the uber hardcore acai or die. And no disrespect to those cats. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No disrespect you know, to those it, cats. No, no, for sure. It's interesting because uh, I have some really good friends in the jiu-jitsu scene and that, like, you know, it's also another growing part of it where it's uh, vegetarians and it's it's surprising to see how many are vegetarians and vegans and you know the ones that I'm friends with for the most part aren't very like the uh, in your face vegans but you know I respect them for their decisions and they don't seem to to mind my burger posts all the time so yeah it's a it's a respect through jujitsu that makes it interesting are you at a point where with food does that balance the piece of pie to your life? Or is this like more like, you know, I eat bad once in a while or how, how do you balance between that whiskey burger affection? Yeah, that, that, that's where it becomes a little bit tighter sometimes. I'll, uh, I'll have a weekend and, like I did in California where I'm, I'm eating everything that's put in front of me because, you know, I, it was California. I had to try a bunch of different places, you know, I, I didn't even get to try the Mexican food out there. Mm. And, uh, so that just means I got to go back. But, um, you know, all these burgers, they add up and my training sometimes isn't always enough to, uh, counteract those calories. So I got to, you know, start dieting for a week or two and you'll see less posts on the uh, burger page then. But, uh, for the most part, I, I tend to maintain, as long as I keep it to a, a good amount of burgers versus uh, uh, good food during the week. Yeah, next time you're out here, text me. E- either I can take you or I can just direct you. There's like two, three burger spots, but also like 
Vice has done a feature on a couple of like uh, carnitas and Mexican food trucks okay. out here. I'll be happy to roll with you, or I'll just direct you to these spots. Cause they're, yeah, let's do both. Yeah, for sure, man. Absolutely. But uh, now to you, even deeper, more into you. Are you originally from New York? Uh, yeah, I was born and raised in New York. Um, grew up in the Bronx until I was eight, and then I moved up to uh, where our gym, uh, where Trinity and I train at, in Middletown, is located. I'm from Monroe, New York. Uh, people not familiar with the area might know the Woodbury Commons is close to there. That's uh, where I'm from. Okay, and then how'd you get into... I always don't assume it's just jiu-jitsu is the first love, but how'd you get into martial arts? So I wrestled most of my life. I uh, started wrestling around third, fourth grade. And from there, it was kind of like a touch-and-go kind of thing. I, I tried out for the team in seventh grade, and I didn't like it, so I kind of just stopped. And then high school, I got back into it, uh, doing JV for a couple of years. And then uh, I was varsity my senior year. And then a, a cocky little 10th grader beat me out for my spot. He had a wrestle off for it. And, you know, he got the better of me. And, but I had a couple of varsity matches. But then fast forward six years later, I think, my friend, he wanted to go – he, he, he was training at the gym, and he's like, hey, you guys got to try jujitsu with me tonight. And I was like, can't we just watch a movie? I don't really feel like doing anything. I was kind of lazy at this point. I didn't really want to do anything in my life. And then uh, I got on the mats with him, and of the three of us that went that night, I'm the only one that's still training here seven years later. But uh, I, I fell in love that night. It reminded me of the wrestling room, and I was just hooked right away it, it definitely caught me and i was i was in how did the journey go to training this was at henzo's right away no um i'm in henzo gracie in middletown right right now what i do is i commute to the city on mondays and train in the morning and i come back here and i teach up here and you know it's kind of like a little commuting to to get some training in there and then also training here teaching a little bit it's uh you know a split kind of schooling now that i have okay and did you and i don't mean this in a political put down way what was the difference in training with a henzo based academy well i've always been henzo based um it's it's always been Henzo with me. I, I Sorry, I, I apologize, Stefan. Um, I meant between HQ and oh, Middletown. And the, Is there a the difference? Middletown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. The the you know the roles you're gonna get are gonna be tougher. You're gonna get more consistent, uh, tough roles. The guys up here at Middletown, they're tough. They they definitely are. And you know, I teach them and I, I get them to try to beat me up. But it, it's definitely a level above when you go into, like, a Donaher class and you, you, you train with those guys. They just, you know, you're going to get your ass kicked either way. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm training hard and I'm getting it all done on both sides of it. Middletown, we've got tough guys. In the city, you get even tougher guys, but that's not to take away from what the Middletown guys can do. 
Right. And, and are you still working in production and shipping as a manager? Or are you uh, just strictly yeah. on jujitsu now? No, no, I'm definitely still working full time. I, uh, I negotiated. My boss is also a black belt. He, uh, he's, uh, trains with us over in the gym We're our business is actually located right next to the gym. And he did that on purpose so we could just easily walk <laughs> right over to training right after. Um, but I negotiated with him to have Mondays off and work, uh, four 10 hour days so I could get that training in, in the city. And, uh, makes the commuting a lot easier without killing myself. Now, did you get your boss into jujitsu or was he already into jujitsu when you, he, he had been training for maybe, uh, 12 years when I met him. He, he started training up here when the gym opened because he'd been training forever. He was waiting for a place to open up around here. And he definitely has mentored me. His name's, uh, Brian Schutzer. He's, he's a great, you know, mentor. He's, a great boss. Uh, so he's been there with me since I started training. It's, you know, it's been a long road and he's been there for it. Not a lot of people would be that lenient where it's like, you know what, man, go ahead, take Mondays off. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I really appreciate him for that. He, um, he definitely understands what I want to do with my life going forward. And he's, he's very receptive to that. He, uh, he actually owns a gym down in Hoboken called uh, Hoboken Fight Club. It's Henzo affiliated and uh, Shootabox affiliated, actually. Oh, so th- there's a lot of skulls getting cracked there <laughs> with the Shootabox. Oh, oh, yeah. Stand up. Luis Azaredo is the uh, instructor there. He's uh, he's a big uh, Shootabox guy. He fought in Pride and uh, Bellator and stuff like that. So I'm looking at your. Instagram post and if I'm if I'm correct it seems like the percentage seems to skew more towards you as a no gi guy is that correct you uh, think? typically these days yeah um I I still train gi for sure and you know gi is always going to be fun for the collar chokes and all that it's but for the most part my training is mostly no gi it's it's just been skewed that way is that mentality based out of just interest or is it more, do you see it more practical? Do you see the gi as the discipline martial aspect and, and the no gi, the practical competitive juice? Uh, how do you see both? Uh, I see both as, you know, necessary for growth, but I think uh, no gi is definitely where the money and the competition is. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely where you need to be training. And all of my competitions that I've lost, for the most part, have been by heel hooks. So I definitely want to be training where that's a, something I'm going to have to defend more. So that's why I've been focusing more on the no-gi. But uh, gi, I still love it. It's still fun. My last competition was actually a gi competition. And it was, you know... I came out, I had one win, one loss, and then uh, yeah, I wound up getting second, but it was still good. Okay, because I, I from what I'm noticing, uh, because I live in, you know, Los Angeles, California, it seems like people who are older, I'm 44 years old, turning 45, so a lot of us seem to tend to gear towards 
ghee because it seems like it's less injurious. Yeah, it's slower paced. Do you see that as a stamped like method of thinking like, hey, I'm older, I should just train in the ghee? What's what are your thoughts about that? That's a that's an interesting way to look at it because now that I'm thinking about it, in my nogi classes that I teach, it's not a lot of the older guys. A lot of the older guys tend to lean towards the gi. Uh, I never thought about it in that aspect, but I think they do like the uh, the slower pace of it, the grips, and the uh, being able to fight more with uh, holding people in place and using them to, uh, you know, not using like the collars and the, uh, the grips to kind of manipulate and opposed to having to be squirmy and fast and moving underneath your opponent really in a, in a interesting ways. Okay. Now belt through belt by belt. I don't know how much time you can give me cause I'm, I'm, I'm really naturally curious about your journey. What was the difference from blue to purple? So blue belt, I really, really opened me up to realizing that this is more difficult than I thought it was going to be. My white belt journey being a wrestler was like, okay, I'm beating up all these other white belts. You know, it was a new gym, so everybody was white belts, and I was kind of like, you know, I had my my wrestling game to help me. And then blue belt, when the purple belt started turning it up on me, I was like, oh, my God, this is a whole different thing. And I started trying to work my guard more. I saw people pass me up that were previously behind me. I was getting worried that, you know, I wasn't working on the right things. And it made me, like, focus a lot more. And then Purple Belt, it was kind of more of a competition phase for me. I was definitely competing a lot more. I was doing better in competition at Purple Belt than I was at Blue Belt. And... I felt really confident and I got a lot more developed of my game. And it was just a time where I was finding who I was going to be in jujitsu, what I really wanted to do with it, and just where this journey was taking me. Okay, because in purple recently... Jean-Jacques Machado was on the Joe Rogan pod. Well, I can't say recently. I think it's been a good year, year and a half. And mm-hmm. he felt like once you're at Purple, you you are now part of the elite in, in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. So your journey from Purple to Brown, how do you feel about that statement? Is it not Not that it's incorrect, but what was your feeling of difference from Purple to Brown? Uh, I, it's weird. I thought it would be a much bigger moment for me than it was. Not to say that it wasn't a big moment, sure. but I still like, I felt like I, I hadn't been progressing and I'm like, you know, we all go through those struggles where it's like, what am I even doing? What? Like, I, I feel like I'm getting smashed by blue belts. Like, sure. They're like crazy good wrestlers, but like, I shouldn't be having, to fight for my life against the blue belt and like all this other stuff. And then you're making excuses to yourself. Oh, I was tired that day and all this other crap. But, and then to just, you know, have it happen. It's, it's like, Oh, Oh, I guess I was doing better. You know, somebody noticed. And, uh, it, it, 
it opened me up a little bit to me having to take on that role of being a brown belt uh, in the school that I'm at. You know, there's not many of us. There's like a few brown belts, but, you know, it was definitely I needed to start being a brown belt, start being more of a leader because when I was a purple belt, even though I was instructing, I was, you know, kind of relaxed, not really pushing anybody. And now I'm like, all right, this is, uh, I'm consider I considered brown belt more of an elite than purple belt. I'd say sure. purple belt. I felt like I was kind of just like a kid, you know, as far as jujitsu, you know, the jujitsu journey, I still felt like I was a kid. I felt like if being a 18 year old is being a purple belt, I feel like being a brown belt, like being like 25, you're, you're really an adult, even though an 18 year an adult, brown belt you're really an adult and you need to get your shit together wow because it it, it seems like you were already competing at purple right mm -hmm. i mean actually no i've seen you video videos of you as a white belt competing already so you've been competing all that time but it seems like on from your experience a lot of it has to do as duty as a senior member of the academy in school um Really, the, the competition, I'm trying to encourage other people to do it, and I know if they don't see someone who they look up to doing it, they might not do it. You know, uh, I want to encourage more people to compete. Like, uh, I've got a few blue belts that are timid about it, a couple purple belts that have never done it before but are thinking about it, and some who have done it before that, you know, are just worried, like, oh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get smashed. I'm like, doesn't matter and like you know i've lost plenty of competitions i'm like i go out there i get smashed i'm back out there another time you can't let you know that scare you from from testing yourself and also just you you discover new things about yourself you discover new things about your game you discover new things about jujitsu when you compete and you meet some pretty awesome people i've made a lot of friends in competition you know i uh, i competed against uh, brian mclaughlin he uh he owns a school up in Poughkeepsie. He's a crazy good black belt out there. Uh, he was actually on the Ultimate Fighter uh, at one point. And uh, I was just like, I, I met him. We made, we became friends. And since then, I go up, I train with him all the time. He's an awesome guy. From your observation, you know how there's Jean-Jacques Machado to Eddie Bravo? Mm -hmm. do, do you see things that John Danaher picked up from Henzo, like attitude wise or uh, movement wise, like, you know, John Jocks, cause you know, he, uh, he has amniotic disease where he doesn't have like, he barely has a thumb and a pinky on one hand. Mm -hmm. So he developed like the over under sweep, uh, butterfly hooks and all that. And that's mm -hmm. what Eddie Bravo predicated from his learning. Do you see things that are both either physical, if not philosophical from, Henzo to Donaher that Donaher that's picked a, up? Yeah, that's a hard uh, observation to make. Uh, they definitely are completely different personalities in, right. in my observation. Right. Um, but, you know, Donaher definitely, he's, he's studied a lot of different games, and he's, he's brought it all together. And um, that's not to say, obviously, he, he's learned from Henzo. He's you know, under Henzo, and he he definitely developed a good amount of his game from that, I'm sure. 
but the, the stuff he teaches and the stuff he uh, passes on, you know, you see from all these other different high level competition winners like Marcel Garcia and others like that. He, he takes a bit of everything and he makes it into his own flavor. I would say. Maybe this is a question from your observation for, from Henzo, from Donner and for you as a coach, if it's a hobbyist versus a competitor, do you differ in your teaching style? Does it remain the same? Um, What's different? Or if it's the same? For me, I definitely um, try to approach it the same. I, I, If there's something important for competition, I'll add it to the information I'm, I'm saying as I'm teaching. I'll be like, oh, if you're in competition... You want to make sure you hold side control for three seconds, you know, get the points, whatever, or whatever else is applicable to the competition. But, like, I, I know the guys I, the hobbyists don't care about that, so I don't really focus too much on it, you know? Do you ever spot talent and you go, I know you're a hobbyist, but did you ever, in your teaching experience, had to, like, when I say dude, I mean for both genders. Like, dude, you should yeah, really yeah. get on the mats and compete, man. Um, I mean, I don't try to push people except for my girlfriend. She's really good. I want her <laughs> to compete more. But, you know, she's a little intimidated by uh, the scope of what competition can be. But she also doesn't know how good she is for her levels, you know, being a blue belt. But... She, uh, I think she'd do very well. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple guys that I've spotted in the gym and I'm like, look, you know, you, you do really good in competition. Uh, and then like, you know, I have connections with different, um, organizations. So I'm like, Oh, if you guys want a super fight, I could try to set that up for you. Something else. So like, you know, maybe they don't want to do a whole tournament. So that's a little more intimidating in some ways, even though super fights like a little more focused. So you can't push people, I feel, because it'll just turn them away more, especially if they lose. But if you think they're going to do well, just let them know. The food's there if you want to eat. You don't have to eat it. Um, yeah, I'd say that, you know, make, make the food enticing. Make it smell good and, and <laughs> they'll come. We're about to wrap up. And I really thank you for your time. But do you have an idea of your end goal yet? Do you eventually want to coach and teach at any either Henzo Academy or open up your own school? Are you soulfully connected to where you want to maintain your your working gig and just keep this as a side uh, soulful endeavor? No, uh, my, my goals are definitely to uh, open up a gym eventually. Uh, we'll see where down the line that, that happens, but it definitely like, this is what it's going to be. It's jujitsu for sure. I'm going to be teaching and doing all that for life. Thanks for tuning into the show and please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're also available on your favorite directories aside from iTunes, such as Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in. You can find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V-E.com. And Believe Podcasts on social media. Now, if you want to get at me personally, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Plug12. 
That's P-L-U-G-O-N-E-T-W-O. Hit me up and I'll read your questions or maybe even have you on the show. Believe in the fight game. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.